Welcome to Summit Church. If I haven't met you, my name is Jasper. I'm one of the uh, pastors here. Um, and we are in the book of 2 Thessalonians, actually chapter 2, if you want to go ahead and start turning there. And this is part two of a, a single sermon. So one sermon that's taking two weeks to go through, and it's kind of a big one. So let's review a little bit. Second, th- second <laughs> so last week I said Secalonians, which is me which is me cutting out time, right? There's two, there, the clock is winding down in the world. We don't have time to say Second Thessalonians. So we're just going to say Secalonians. And, and Sam and Todd guaranteed that I would not get it right again today, and they were absolutely right. So Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul is writing to a church, a church that he had, a place that he had gone to and planted a church that was in Macedonia, and it was in Thessalonica. He planted a church there. Paul himself faced much persecution there, was run out. And only a couple months later, he has to write a second letter because he's so worried in a good way about these baby Christians, worried about the opposition they were up against. What were they up against? Well, they had the Jewish uh, leaders in the area who were persecuting them because many of the Jews had actually followed Jesus. So they have persecution from the Jews and then persecution from the, from the Greeks in the area, the, the pagans in the area. They're being pressed in against. And then they have teachings that are coming in all around them and people trying to convince them of things that Paul had told them were not what they could be convinced of. Paul wrote to them and told them things that they needed to know as baby Christians, things that were very important about about life now and about life to come. And that first letter was motivating them and encouraging them to stay the course, keep working, keep your jobs, keep looking forward to the coming of the Lord. You're not going to miss out on it. Those who've died before you will go before you. And then you will join them. God's going to meet, Jesus is going to meet you in the air and you'll be raptured to him. And only a couple months goes by and Paul hears word. He hears word that they've already forgotten what he's taught them. So now he has to write again to remind them of some things. And that's why we're in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Last week, we said the goal of this sermon was to do this. The goal of this passage is to remain calm. You'll see it on the screen, to remain calm and to live proper and productive lives until Jesus comes. And so we started down this path of learning how we could not be a hysterical mess waiting on Jesus, right? How can I avoid being a hysterical mess waiting on Jesus to come back? Now, when I say hysterical, it, you have this idea of like, oh, yeah, some of that was the case because they were being convinced that Jesus had come back and had left them, forgotten about them and had left them. Why in the world would they think that? If you were suffering persecution every day, you're getting the short end of the stick every day. You have people around you who are the enemies of God who seem to be winning and they're pressing in against you. You will be tempted to start to believe that God has forgotten about you. Does life ever make you feel like that? Look what's going on in my life, God. You must not care about me. That leads to irrational wrong thinking, wrong teaching, wrong doctrine. It leads to a hysteria that will cause us to live life in a certain way that actually plays right into the hand of the enemy. It's the enemy's like, it's exactly what I want you to do. I want you to get so messed up and so lost in the whirlwind, so caught up in what I'm telling you 
that you can't even hear the promises and the grace and the mercy of God and the encouragement and all the great work that he's trying to do in your life currently, that you start to do things like quit your job and just go sit on the mountaintop thinking all is lost. Or you quit your job and you just, I'm going to wait for Jesus to come back. I'm going to wait for life. And this nihilistic existential crisis that comes into life that no Christian should have because we're going to see today, God has a very specific purpose that he will work out in your life if you are his. So Paul thought it necessary to write to them to talk to you about the coming of the Lord. Somehow the future belief about Jesus coming back was important in getting their lives back on track. Real quick, let's review what we learned last week. How can I avoid being a hysterical mess? The first thing Paul said was this, stop giving deception an ear. And I want us to read through the passage together. Don't read it out loud. Just listen as I read. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 1. Paul says, now concerning the coming of the Lord Christ, Jesus Christ, and our beating gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Stop giving deception an ear, quickly shaken in mind and alarm. And they were allowing these teachings that they had the knowledge were not true. They were allowing them to, hey, maybe this is true. Maybe this is right. Maybe, maybe. What about in our life? Many different ways and avenues we can listen to things that will creep into our mind and heart that we, we know aren't quite biblical. It doesn't quite sound right. We know, but, but what if it's true, right? We let it in or maybe even we just believe it wholeheartedly. We just hear it in a YouTube video or, or some type of teaching or something just because it has like the Bible stamped on it or Christian stamped on it or pastor stamped on it and we just believe it. Stop giving deception an ear. He says this, verse three, let no one deceive you in any way for the day will not come. What day will not come? That future day of the Lord is what we're talking about. When when the man of lawlessness is gonna see, the tribulation of God, the, the wrath of God is poured out onto mankind and Jesus comes back afterwards, very quickly afterwards and the end comes. He says, let no one deceive you in any way And then he tells us the next thing that we must do, which was this, hold fast to what the Bible says. You have teachings in scripture, hold fast to this. This is the point. How can can I make sure that I'm on the right path? I'm not just being tossed to and fro like the wind, like a flower in the wind that's just blowing wherever the wind goes. Hold fast to what the scripture says. You've got to know it, eat, sleep it, breathe it. It's the most important piece of literature ever written to mankind. And it's the one we should be devoting ourselves to regardless of how hard we think it is to understand. The illumination of the Holy Spirit will make this not as hard as you think to understand. God will help you. Hold fast to what the scripture says. So what did we learn last week about what's happening? Concerning the coming of the Lord, the first thing is this. The rebellion and the antichrist must be revealed first. He says this, concerning that, for that day will not come unless the rebellion first comes and the manless lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that I was with you? I told you these things. And it says this, and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of way 
And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Man of lawlessness and this great apostasy, an event that will be very clear and global and climactic, must happen first. That's what we're looking for. That's what we keep our eyes open for. When we see that, oh, then we know it's close. It's coming. We're told that there's a restrainer now happening in the world, some type of restrainer. It's referred to as a he I said last week that it was the Holy Spirit, which is an interpretation of who the he is. Either way, we know it is God who is powerfully restraining Satan and the man of lawlessness from coming full bore into the world. It's almost like God, Satan's being held back now from being able to do as evil as he wants to in the world. God is restraining him somehow. Could be Michael the archangel. It could be the Holy Spirit could be something else. We know that there is a restrainer and there's going to be a time with that restrainer like kind of like steps out of the way. And then Satan and the man of lawlessness are given full reign to come into the world. It will be a time unlike anything we've ever seen on earth where you keep hoping that there will be some type of hope in the sky, some type of a, a general or leader that will rise up and destroy him, but you won't see on earth, but you will see Jesus come from heaven and destroy the enemy once and for all with the breath of his mouth. That's what we're told. The restrainer is restraining him. And then, it, then we learn this also, and that when he does come, Jesus is going to kill him. Very simple, as easy and as quick as we can make it to talk about what we're waiting for and what's coming at the end. Now, let me say this about uh, Thessalonians. Paul was not writing to, to, to make some type of book about eschatology and about end times, and that's what they're geeking out over. He's writing two letters to them to encourage them because he so badly wants them to stay the course and stay on track and not give up. The book of Revelation that John wrote where he gets the revelation from God about the end was sent out to churches for the very purpose of not just giving them information to geek out about and debate over, but to give them information that would tell them you're on the winning side. You are going to face on planet earth the most horrifying afflictions you could think of. You're going to face persecution and confusion and everything inside of your own flesh and people on the outside are going to try to tell you like, why are you following Jesus? Give up, follow us, do this. Life is this way. Joy is this way. And the Bible is culminating in this great revelation where we see the full picture that God is the one who created things. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. All who follow him will not be put to shame. But until that day, there's a life that we have to live. And that life is going to be tested. That life is going to be filled with temptation. That life has to prove that it's rejected the world and followed Christ. Thessalonians is no different. Endure keep going, live the life that God wants you to live, proper and productive lives. Now, I want you to jump to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 real quick, and I want you to see what the problem was in this church. The problem that for some reason, mysteriously, the end times teaching that Paul's bringing is going to solve the problem. It's what's going to get people away from this wrong way of living. Chapter three, look at verse six. Here's a description of the Thessalonians, some of the problems that were going on. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness, not I-D-O-L, but idleness, 
walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition you received from us. Now, what was the tradition that they received from him? Back in the first letter, Paul had told them, hey, we want you to be devoted to good works. We want everyone living a quiet life. Every single person has their own family, their own life to live, and you live it quietly and submissively to the Lord. You work hard and you be productive. You work for your own money and your own gain. You provide for yourself and you don't rely and mooch off of anyone. But something about having wrong doctrine about end times were causing people to neglect that and he gets word only a few months later that that problem had gotten only worse. So he says, now, now he's talking to the whole church, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not according to the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we did not have the right, but to give you in ourselves. It was not because we do not have the right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some of you walk in idleness not busy at work, but busy bodies. Not busy at work, but busy bodies. It's this idea you got too much time on your hand, spending your time getting other people's business, spending time spreading gossip, maybe creating division, right? This person's living a, an idle, kind of aimless life. There's a lot to be busy with. But instead, they were busy bodies. That's a problem. Now, what does understanding that Jesus is coming back and in that proper time coming back, what does that have to do with helping solve this? Well, I would believe that when you know that the end is coming, you want to be on the winning side and Jesus has a purpose for you here now on planet earth, you start to look at the life you're currently living with more purpose. You ever heard someone say so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good, right? I don't really like that staying because I don't think it's actually possible to be no earthly good if you're like heavenly minded because we're supposed to be heavenly minded. But I understand what people are trying to say, right? They're so focused on like, man, it's all about heaven and Jesus is coming back. Like, let's just wait for it to happen. But you still got to live life. The life you're living has a purpose to it, a great purpose, and it's a very spiritual purpose. Now, he says this, such persons we command and encourage in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person, have nothing to do with them. That sounds harsh, that they may be ashamed. But he says this, do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. This was a very short letter. Chapter three is when Paul gets to what he was really wanting to say to the Thessalonians. But before he said chapter three, he said chapter two, which is instructing them how to think properly about life now and what's coming at the end. Very important to understand it. And something about that helps us from living a hysterical mess now waiting on Jesus. Help gives us confidence and encouragement to think properly and to live proper and productive lives waiting for Jesus. That's the point. Now, last week we only did two points. Here's the third one we're going to get to. 
now that you have as much context and as little time as I can give you. The third thing is this. We need to make sure we do or slash don't do to make sure we're not getting sucked into the tornado of hysteria. The third thing is this. Pity the world. Do not envy it. Pity the world. Do not envy it. Chapter 2, verse 8. Chapter 2, verse 8. He says this, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth. All of this stuff is coming, but know this, Jesus is going to prevail, and Jesus has the victory. He's going to come, and he's when He's going to be the hero that you're looking for. He's going to be the savior that's going to come again, and this time, deal with evil once and for all. It's not going to be this where we're living amongst it and experiencing it, it's going to be destroyed. The devil who from the very beginning was the one who was the father of lies who came in, talked to our parents at the tree, worked temptation in their heart and deceived them into thinking that what God said wasn't good enough and they ate the fruit and sin entered the world, spread to all men and because of that, death spread to us all is going to be finally destroyed once and for all. Thrown into the lake of fire Hades itself, all of it destroyed, condemned, judged forever to be put away and locked away forever, never to rear its ugly head again. That sounds like a great day. And Jesus is the one who's gonna bring that. Pity the world, don't envy it. Why? Because all of those who choose to follow the world and follow the deception of the enemy above the truth of God will experience the same fate when Jesus returns. He says this in verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. You'll see it up on the screen if you're writing, you're filling in. Satan will use anything he can to keep people deceived. Now, specifically here, Paul is talking about a very future thing that's going to happen when the man of lawlessness is revealed, that the the lawless one, the Antichrist, his coming is going to be by the activity and the power of Satan himself. If you think about what is the activity and the power of Satan, and then he describes it as with wonders and signs and wicked deception. What type of picture do you get or do you think about when you think, okay, that time's coming. How is he going to work things coming up to that time to cause people to follow this evil man? wherever he goes, to follow him with shouts of praise and glory, to, to be excited and think that this man is the man who's now going to save the world. Well, it's going to be by the activity of Satan, by the power of Satan, who is the prince of the power of the air, who has great power and with many signs and wonders. In verse 7, Paul said the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. That means when you look out into the world, you can see even people who aren't Christians, even people 
who don't believe this can look out, man, something's working behind the scenes. Is it the Illuminati? What is it? Like, we all have this idea that there's something wrong, that like, even when big news comes to us, we think there was something behind that. What does that mean? What's going on? What's it working towards? It's the mystery of lawlessness. There is no Illuminati. There's no group of men who are working. There are group of demons working among nations to build the world up in such a way to prepare the way for this man of lawlessness. But during that day when he is actually revealed, there is going to be wonders and signs and miracles happen. Not trickery. It's this idea that Satan himself is using all the power he can to do things that will be miraculous and wonderful and defy physics and be like what Jesus did when he came. When Jesus did, same word, wonders and signs and miracles where people will follow him in the droves. You know, just because a prophet says something is going to come true and it does, doesn't make them a good prophet. We're told in scripture that if a prophet comes and says this is going to happen and it happens, but they tell you to stop following the Lord, you don't follow him. He's a false prophet. You have to understand and listen to the message that is going out in the world for anytime you make a decision of I'm going to choose to view life this way based off this information. If that information is contrary to this, you reject it. Doesn't matter how many wonders and signs and how much money or miraculous, awesome looking, seemingly successful, attractive things that are surrounding it, you reject it if it rejects this or tells you to live contrary to this or tells you something contrary to it. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if Joseph Smith is walking in the forest and he comes up against the angel Moroni who appears magically and gives him these golden tablets and says he's brought some new revelation. You reject that. Why? Because Paul told us in Galatians that if, you, if anyone comes, even if I come or even an angel comes and tells to you something different than what I already brought to you, let him be accursed. What you have been given is what you follow till the end. And anything that comes after that that is different than what you've been given, you reject it. That's why you must know what you've been given, which is why Paul is saying, live in according to the traditions that we first brought you. There's a lot of deception out there. Satan will use anything he can to deceive people. And this isn't just something, a description of something that's gonna happen in the future when the man of lawlessness reveals. It's how he's working now. He's an angel of light, right? Which means he's gonna bring to you good things. He's not gonna show up like a, like a, a, a demon like we picture. He doesn't wanna scare you away. He wants to be attractive to you. He wants you to follow him. And so he'll do anything he can to well up within you the sense of this is right, that you'll follow it. So church, especially as your elders and pastors, one thing we care about is that you not be led astray in your hearts or captivated by something in the world that would draw your attention away. That would be the act, by the activity of Satan. How is deception creeping into your life? I don't know. Maybe you know. Can you see it? Where is it in your life where maybe you, you, something is tempting you to start to question God, question the Bible? Maybe you're hearing something from groups of people you respect that's maybe making you think that, you know, maybe I was wrong about this. You, you, know, you know, maybe truth is relative. Maybe you can live however you want. Maybe all roads do lead to God. 
Maybe I'm on the wrong side of this when, when the world looks at me and, and calls me all the time, thinks that I'm judging them and being mean and harsh and a bigot for saying that they're sinful. Maybe the, maybe the world, maybe I am that. I don't want to be that. I, I want to be the loving person, right? What, what type of wicked deception and activity of Satan is he bringing in your life to cause even your own heart to stumble in the truth? Because that's what it means to be quickly shaken in mind. I don't know what to believe. Pity the world, don't envy it, because the world is under the sway of the evil one. Right? What type of life is that? Yeah, sure, it has pleasures now. Sure, it has worldly success in it. Sure, it seems to gratify the desires of the flesh, but all of those roads lead to destruction and death. Pity the world, don't envy it. And then next, look what happens. Verse 10 says, with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, right? Unbelievers, those who follow the deception, they are in the process of perishing being destroyed. Why? Because they refused to love the truth and to be saved. What is the truth? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. People refuse to love the truth. The truth is a person The truth is a message, the message that Paul was bringing about the gospel, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, that it's ringing out into the world, and it's it's finally fulfilling the prophecy that even the far reaches and the Gentiles would even praise him, that he would be, God would be the God of the Gentiles, and even the whole world would come to him and praise him, and that's being secured through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the atonement of Jesus his blood securing something, doing something once and for all. It is finished from the cross. And that message is received by hearing as it's being proclaimed. And the person who hears it and believes it, their heart will be quickened by the Holy Spirit and they will be saved and become a new creature. The old passed away and the the new come in. and, And all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The kingdom of God is coming. Repent. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord, this is the truth. Because they refuse to love the truth. Notice it doesn't say believe the truth. They refuse to love the truth. It's an affection of the heart because Paul is going to talk about the reason destruction is coming on people because what they choose to love and what they choose to hate. They refuse to love the truth and be saved, right? Because the message is there to save mankind because doom is upon all of the world. Destruction is coming. We all are facing the fiery wrath of God. And, and nature itself is showing us time and time again that wrath that is found in the... As animals rip themselves apart, as, as the, the weather is going crazy, as all we look out is we see instability and chaos and craziness. The sea will swallow you up in an instant. All of that pointing to the wrath of God that is on mankind. Trying to get our attention to say, hey, stop playing games. Stop playing around. Something is coming. And then Paul says this. Because they refuse to live truth and be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion 
so that may, they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Let's, let's, let's talk about this for a little bit. Pity the world, don't envy it. Why? Because they're under the sway of the evil one. Satan is deceiving them, keeping them from believing the truth. And then secondly, this, God is going to judge everyone who chooses to love sin instead of truth. Did you hear this? It said this, therefore, or because of, they refuse to love the truth and be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion. God is the author of this. God is sending who? The people who refuse to love the truth. Still talking about a future time, but this is also a current way. A future time of a a strong, God is going to send it to these people as a judgment. Delusion. You hear somebody, they're delusional, right? You ever talk to someone who's delusional and you can't convince them of anything? A strong delusion. Why? So that they may believe what is false. It's very interesting. Wait, wait. God is the one sending a strong delusion so that people actually will believe? What doesn't God want? Does he want God to, doesn't God want people to believe the truth? No, he says he's judging them because they refuse to believe the truth. Therefore, times run out for them and God sends a strong delusion by his power to make sure because now they're judged that they will continue to believe the lie that, this, that Satan and the Antichrist gives so that they may believe what is false. Why? In order that all may be condemned. Who did not believe the truth, but instead had pleasure in unrighteousness. Don't be too tempted to think, oh, this is just a future thing that's going to happen because this is, God has operated this way from the very beginning. Romans chapter one, we're told about the person who's given over to a reprobate mind, a mind that's totally opposed to God, a mind and a heart that no longer feels any conviction, any guilt about the life that they're choosing to live. Romans one talks about how God gives them over. All right. You know me, you've heard my message, it's come to you time and time and time again, but instead you want this because you think this will bring you more joy and pleasure than what I have to offer you. Your heart cannot be pierced, it's too hard, therefore I'm giving it, giving you over and letting you have what you want. That's what you want, I'm gonna let you have it and I'm gonna let you experience the full end of that way of life. And man, that is rampant today. It's ironic that something 2,000 years, late, 2000 years ago where people were trying to figure out what to do with gender and sexuality, who you can love, who you can marry, who you can't marry, who you can be, who you can't be, was not the same thing that was going on before because God created male and female and he created sex in a beautiful way and our world wants nothing to do with the way God made it. We want to have it our way and we'll keep to fight and clamor and say, this is the way of love, this is the way, this is the way, this is the way. And God says, no, I established it before the foundations of the earth. This is my way, my command, it's my gift, my creation, and you're trying to distort it. Repent and receive the forgiveness of sins. But if you don't, there is a warning 
of God giving you over to a reprobate mind where you'll no longer, you'll no longer be tossed to and fro wondering if you're believing the truth. You'll be fully convinced that you're following the right way. You'll be given over to that delusion. Same thing when the man of lawlessness comes. God's gonna send a strong delusion over the world because they refuse to believe the truth and be saved. They'd rather have pleasure and unrighteousness living life the way they want to live it. Therefore, God's gonna give them strong delusion so that no matter what convincing argument they hear from great Christians, their heart will stay hard and they'll continue to follow a lie. It's encouragement for us that when we preach, the power is not in our persuasiveness, but it's in the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you see why I say pity the world and don't envy it? Because God is coming to kill the man of lawlessness and he's condemning the world. And the world's going to pass away and all the pleasures therein will pass away. Let's all be honest with one another. Let's be honest. Every single day, we wake up to the moment we go to bed, we feel the constant pull of living life according to the flesh. Finding pleasure in my way instead of God's way. The world's telling me to give into it. My own heart's telling me to give into it. All my opportunities are there before me to give into it. And it seems the very thing that inside of my soul that I know is the best thing, which is surrender my life to Jesus, seems to be the hardest thing and the very last thing that I want to do. The good news we're going to see is that the power of God is far more powerful than the weakness of your flesh. Pity the world, don't envy it, church. That's one of the ways you avoid being a hysterical mess waiting for the end because you know the end and destruction's coming for them, not you. You stop worrying about what you're experiencing and you start to pity people who are lost and you start to get motivated to live a type of life that will shine light for them and pray for them and try to get the gospel to them so that God would save them as well, just like he saved us. Look at chapter one. From the very beginning, Paul shows what he's trying to do in this book to encourage them. Chapter one of 2 Thessalonians, Paul says this. Verse four, he says, therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness of faith, right? So the church is being praised by Paul because he can hear about their steadfastness of faith in all your persecutions and in your afflictions that you are enduring, Wow, I'm hearing about all the stuff you're going through for the sake of the Lord. Now, when you're hurting like that, you're being persecuted, the one thing we need is some type of affirmation encouragement from God that way, please let me know I'm doing the right thing here. Now, imagine you get a Holy Spirit-inspired letter from Paul the Apostle who got to see into the third heavens, who's bringing, who brought you the gospel, who then writes this, He's given you perspective. He's given you the summit. He says this in verse five. He says, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are being afflicted as well as to us when the fiery inflicting when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, and listen to this description, 
in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed to this end. We always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see what Paul's doing? He knows what's going on in their heart because he's experienced it too, the affliction and the persecution. You know what they need in this moment? They need perspective that will wake them up, that will give them the right outlook on their life. They are not the ones who are suffering. Their affliction and their persecution, their lack of whatever it is on planet earth that's coming as a result of following Jesus is temporary. God's going to grant them relief. And guess what? The roles are going to be reversed. Those who are afflicting you, who are enemies of Jesus, they're the ones who are going to be afflicted. And guess what? Their affliction and their punishment will be forever. Which is why you want to get on the Lord's side. Which is why when we come together, we can sing songs and think about, think about who we are and our failures and our sins, but we can still sing and praise God because he's forgiven us and we don't have the wrath of God on us. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because those who are saved are going to experience peace, joy, and pleasure forever. That's why the psalmist says, at your, at your, in your presence is the fullness of joy. Not in the presence of whatever is on earth. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Not whatever I can find here on earth. Perspective, summit, eyes on the things that are unseen. Resisting and enduring everything that's coming to them this side of eternity. How you doing? I hope you're starting to get perspective this morning as you're thinking about the things that have been tempting you in life, the things that you've been maybe giving yourself over to, the things that maybe you've been contemplating that hopefully God, through this Holy Spirit, is encouraging but also convicting your heart. No, no, no. The way of truth is a narrow road. Stay on it. It's narrow. The wide way leads to destruction. How do we keep from being a hysterical mess waiting on Jesus' return? Pity the world, don't envy it, this. Never forget what God has done for you. He starts out his letter saying, you're experiencing this, but I'm gonna switch it. No, you're experiencing this, here's what they're going to experience. Chapter two, he says, here's what they're going to experience, here's what you experience and what you're going to experience. He flips the roles again. So he tell, gives them perspective about what's happening in the world. Don't pity them. Now he's gonna give them perspective and a reminder about who they are and what God has done for them. And our fight and our journey in life, church, never forget who you are who, who, and what God has called you to do, what he's called you to be and what he's done for you. Verse 13, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, Paul says. You know, I I see the evil people are going to perish in the end, and I pray that God would bring justice. But when I think of you, I am very thankful, Paul says. 
We ought always give thanks for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm. Hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Never forget what God has done for you. First thing this, you have been chosen, not rejected. He says, beloved brothers, Lord, because God chose you as first fruits. What did he mean by that in Thessalonians, to the Thessalonians? He was reminding them, like, do you realize Thessalonica? Do you realize you were the first people to be saved in this area and your salvation and your following of Jesus is a, is a foreshadow of all the people who are going to come after you and follow him as well. You're the first fruits. And guess here we are 2,000 years later on the other side of the planet reading about their faith. We, how do we know that maybe you, I, aren't saved as a result of their testimony and faithfulness in the Lord? If God could show us, maybe he will track us back through the, through the many years of our life and we could follow the trail of the influence that led to us meeting Jesus and it went all the way back to the, to the Thessalonians. How cool would that be? It goes back to all of this. God chose you. But it's not just the Thessalonians who were chosen. Now it reaches you, that same sovereign choice of God, the same, the same love and the grasp of God to, to gather you and to choose you is on your life as well. You haven't been rejected. If you believe the truth, you've been chosen. You're kind of a first fruits as well. Maybe some of you are first fruits in your family, maybe in your community. Maybe your third, fourth, fifth fruits, right? Either way, we're passing it on. You've been chosen, church, not rejected. We're gonna kind of move through these. You've been saved, not condemned. You've been chosen what? As a first fruits, to be saved, salvation. Through what? You're saved how? Notice this. Two things are at work when someone is saved. The power of the spirit and the choice of the person in belief. Chosen as first fruits through sanctification by the Spirit. That word sanctification means to be set apart, where the Spirit takes you, sanctifies, works, works inside of your heart. The Spirit is at work. The Spirit draws men to Him. What you couldn't do in that you were dead in your sins, the Spirit comes and quickens you and makes you alive and gives you the power and works mightily within you, breaks through the walls to help you do what? Believe in the truth, it says there. Chosen as first fruits, to be saved. Through the sanctification, by the Spirit, and belief in the truth. You see the juxtaposition? You see how this is opposed to those who refuse to love the truth and be saved? You, though, prove that you are saved. Why? Because you love the truth. You have believed it. You haven't refused it. You have believed it. And that's evidence that the Spirit of God has worked in your heart and you were saved. You're saved, not condemned. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus said the world is condemned already. Do you know Jesus? Has he saved you? Do you believe he died on the cross, rose from the dead, and is coming again? Do you believe he's your Lord? If you profess that, believe that in your heart, it's not just superficial in your mind where you're just like, I know that's the right answer. No, but you believe it. That's a sign that God has worked in you. 
You've been sanctified, set apart by the Spirit. You've been saved, not condemned. And God is working in you a beautiful, beautiful work. Then he says this, you've been saved, not condemned. You've been called, not forgotten. Verse 14, to this he called you through what? You got called through what? The gospel, the gospel message, the gospel that reached them, called them to what? To obtain something so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you think that I can in any way give you a proper description of what the glory of Jesus Christ that is coming is going to be like, then you have a very limited view of the glory of God, which is very hard to understand. We're told multiple times about the glory of Jesus that's coming and how we are partakers with that glory. Here, you've been called, not forgotten. You haven't been just kind of like, hey, you know, I pick you for the team, you for the team, but you, you go over there. You get to experience the honor and the glory of being the winning champions of the team. You know, you see like a team win the state or national championship. What type of glory are they experiencing at the end, right? What type of glory is Michigan experiencing right now over Ohio State? That's actually a little picture of what he's talking about here. It's the idea of honor. It's like a knight, right, who has honor before a king, the honor to lay my life down before this king that I fought valiantly and that I wasn't, like, you know, killed by some cold, right? Like, the, I, I was honorable before the king. All those who believe in Jesus will experience that type of glory when he comes. You'll not shrink away in fear. You've been called to obtain that type of experience for all of eternity, What's it going to be like when Jesus returns, church? You've been called, not forgotten. How does this help you? How does this help you when the world is crashing in around you? How does this help you when you're facing a little bit of hysteria in your mind? When you start to remember who you are and what God has done for you? How does this help? So, verse 15, which is also our final point. So, stand firm with Jesus till the end, church. So, then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. If you want to know a very simple thing to do for the rest of your life that you're going to hold on to and you're never going to let go of, it's you're saying, you know what, I'm going I'm I'm to learn this and I'm going to follow this all the days of my life. I'm going to divide it properly. I'm going to follow it all the days, no matter what, no matter what comes into my life, no matter what I experience, what I lose, what I'm tempted to, what other people try to say, I'm going to follow this. Stand firm with Jesus till the end. Church, brothers, sisters, how you doing? You know, it seems like the last two years, the whole world has experienced something that's causing people to fall away. But it's also causing God's real church to stand up and become even more victorious, more determined to stay true to the end. And that's what's exciting. Persecution and affliction will always expose fake Christians and real Christians. 
Do not let anything, I don't care what it is, whether it's in politics, whether it's in the world, whether it's whatever variant that's coming, none of that is the hysteria that Christians should be caught up in. You follow Jesus to the end. You trust him with your life. He will prepare you to face anything. But don't trade him in for safety. Don't trade him in for pleasure. Because the one who's ashamed of me now, I will be ashamed of when I meet them in the end. We stay true to the end with Jesus. Look what is waiting for us. And look what's waiting for the world that rejects and turns away from Jesus. So here's the benediction, verse 16. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for your love and your kindness and your goodness. That yes, every single one of us are very much acquainted with our sin in the areas of life where we struggle to love something else other than you that God, you were still there faithful even when we're faithless. That God, your sin, your, your, your grace is greater than our sin and that your mercy is like the waves of the seashore. They never stop crashing upon us. New every morning. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Father, because of what you've done for us and who you've called us to be, would you help us to reject the things that are pulling us away and stay true with you to the end? Give us this, we pray, in the great name of Jesus Christ. Amen.